0: rob and steve here for another episode of the n64 u podcast coming at you with high-end amateur reviews and scoring for all of your favorite and unknown n64 titles today in episode five we'll be reviewing one of n64's more popular titles banjo kazooie
1: that's right steven banjo kazooie have you heard of it released by rare in 1998 uh i I don't think we need to get into All of the great games that Rare has created over the years, I think we've done that uh, in our Donkey Kong 64 episode. Definitely having played some of Rare games already,
0: I was was actually really, really uh, excited to dive into this one. Um, I realized that Rare, though having a lot of huge titles throughout the N64 and SNES, SNES, I never really played many of the games on the N64, whether it be Donkey Kong 64 or even Banjo-Kazooie, and uh, was pleasantly surprised by this title.
1: Yeah, uh, we're going to have to play Diddy Kong Racing sometime as well, which is another rare title, which is actually the first time that we saw Banjo, who was, uh, what's interesting is Banjo-Kazooie comes out in 1998 but he was actually a playable character in Diddy Kong Racing in 1997. That's awesome. Isn't it? They had some serious foresight, I think, um, with how
0: they sort of uh, laid out their games. Um, I think with the Donkey Kong series, you really see that. Like, one game sort of feeds into the next. Uh, This Banjo-Kazooie game, even, um, obviously, we know there were uh, subsequent titles after the fact, but even in playing this game today... um, they sort of set themselves up for, like, a series, and, you know, this is going to be a household character for Rare.
1: Right. They they came into this game literally with the idea in mind that they were going to make a second game, and you see that in the ending. Uh, I don't want to spoil a, I don't know, 15-year-old game for people, but they do set up the sequel at the end of the first game, uh, and they even... Even to the point where they created this feature called stop and swap, where in the first game, there were some items like the ice key and some of these giant colored eggs. And basically, they were going to have a mechanism where you could swap data from the uh, first game to the second game and vice versa, because the N64 had this. hardware thing where basically you had 10 seconds after you turned off a game where you could put in another game and move data from one game to the other so the idea was that they were going to allow you to swap information from the first game to the second game ultimately they had to nix this idea because of an update to the n64 where That 10-second window became a one-second window and completely ruined the plans for this stop-and-swap feature. It's definitely a good idea, but way too unreliable. Another interesting development feature for this particular
0: game, uh, I was doing a little research on this one as well, and actually found that the original design of Banjo-Kazooie fit much more in line with the traditional... super Nintendo versions of some of the Donkey Kong games, uh, closer to a side scroller, but not, not in fact a true one, I would say it probably would have appeared more similar to what like a super Mario RPG looked like where you can sort of scroll all, um, or move the character all over the screen in a two dimensional format.
1: Oh yeah. Like an isometric viewpoint.
0: Very much so. And that was like the original intent with this. Additionally, it wasn't going to be a bear character, but a regular human character. Um, But in early testings of this game, there was such poor um, opinion of this character. You know, uh, they had him with a sword and everything too. It was so poor that they went back to the drawing table and came up with this more uh, bear design. Um,
1: Yeah, the human's
0: so lame. I know, I know, right? Like, even in terms of thinking about it, just like, I don't understand how it could be the same game with a regular human character. And outside of that, Rare is sort of, you know, they sort of making their bread and butter off of these games that have weird animal creatures that they sort of turn to life. So I think it would have been a poor decision to go that way, and thankfully they went back to the drawing board and made this change.
1: Yeah, we have enough games out there with humans. Like, let's get some bears and squirrels in there. Totally agree. Um, Another interesting tidbit, too with some of these early changes that went
0: on here, um, a lot of changes came into the game after Mario 64 was released. Once Mario 64 was released, that's when they went back and actually was like, went back to the drawing board and decided, hey, we need to make our own fully three-dimensional immersed game like Mario 64. And they basically completely redeveloped it from that point in time. And I believe very strongly when playing this game, this game... Is like a souped-up, much more improved version of Mario sixty-four for me, and I think that really comes through when you play this.
1: Yeah, it's true. It it has a lot of the the same uh, mechanics in terms of collecting jiggies instead of the stars, and the whole uh, way that the levels are laid out and all of that. It, it definitely is incredibly inspired by Mario sixty-four. Like a lot of these uh 3d adventure games were from that era i i i i
0: totally see the appeal at that time you know where there really wasn't this option to go into this 3d um environment prior so you know kind of seeing that and being like okay that's the future that's where we're going let's 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 go that direction very smart by rare um in that
1: regard yeah i i agree With that, let's get into the actual discussion of this game. Steven, would you mind giving our beautiful listeners a reminder of our topics in which we discuss? Of
0: course. So we look at these games, we review different categories such as mechanics, how the game is structured, gameplay, how that game plays through the existing structure, difficulty, how difficult the game is. Is it a level of difficulty that you want to play or is it something easy, something hard? Story is the next category. How impressive was this story told through cutscenes, dialogue, uh, the sound design, visual presentation, and modern day appeal are our last three categories. So, Rob, um, in terms of mechanics, how did you feel they did it here, Rare, in their first
1: big 3D game? Well, um, disclaimer I'm obsessed with this game. Uh, so I'll just get that out of the way. A a completely biased opinion coming at you folks. (laughs) I very biased. I did my very best to play this game from a objective perspective and really put on my, uh, my analysis hat while I, I looked at this and, and tried to, you know, formulate an opinion that was not based on, uh, my nostalgia, but. In terms of the mechanics, uh, we we've discussed this in a prior episode, but I am a huge fan of the 3D action adventure collectathon style game. I know that it's definitely not Steve's favorite, based on our conversation from <laughs> I, Donkey Kong sixty four.
0: I agree, and I have a lot to say about that too, especially as it relates to Donkey Kong sixty four. But I'll let you continue.
1: W- well, it, at least in this game the the problem with donkey kong 64 and i think the, the biggest inherent issue is not the fact that it was a collectathon style game but rather the backtracking was such a major issue yes and i think what allows banjo kazooie to shine and why it's considered to be such a great game for the system and donkey kong is a bit more d- divisive is the fact that you really can take kind of one path through each level and collect a majority of everything. You, there's almost no backtracking other than uh certain pockets of the game. It's not it's not a main feature of the game and I think that's why the game is uh aged as well as it has.
0: I think that is a crucial point because so Collectathons by no means are my type of game, and it's really funny. I never played Banjo Kazooie growing up. I I realize now in in doing many of these games that I think I avoided these more collectathon games. It's definitely not my style overall, so it's hard for me to get into them. I never really played uh, Mario sixty four growing up. I played it as I got older, and we played Donkey Kong first and Banjo Kazooie now, and I truthfully believe that of all of these collect-a-thon games, this is the one that I have been the most impressed by. Um, Still by no means not my favorite, but I do think the mechanics in this particular game uh, lead me to have enjoyed it more for a type of game that I don't typically like. And I think the most important mechanic for me is these music notes. In each particular world that you go into... You have to collect a certain amount of music notes, as, as Rob described. And the beauty of this is they design where the music notes are, always to be in relevant locations to bring you into parts of the map that you should be in in order to collect uh, different puzzle pieces, which you need to unlock certain worlds in this game. This This system, to me is what kept me enjoying this game more than any of these other collect-a-thon games that we have either talked about, uh, whether it be Donkey Kong or Mario 64. You know, I hate Mindless Wandering for these collection games. This is the first one that really kept you on track in each individual world, and I greatly appreciated it.
1: Yeah, if there's any any way I could describe the Banjo-Kazooie game is that it is, it's just a tight game. It was designed very intentionally to be just very, I guess, yeah, just very intentional.
0: It's a great word for
1: this. I think the design was very, very well thought out and very intentional. And speaking of the notes, the other very important, if not the most important collectible in this game are the Jiggies, which is the cute term they use to describe the puzzle pieces within the game. And there are ten of them in each world, and usually you have to do some sort of bigger task to find them. Whether it's you know beating a boss or uh, completing this more complex platforming challenge, and you eventually use these jiggies to unlock new worlds. So it's it's very essential that you find as many of these as you can, so that you can continue the progress of the game. This jigsaw uh, puzzle system is very reflective
0: of Mario 64's mechanism of collecting the stars. So if you've played that game before, you need a certain amount of stars to unlock certain sections in the uh, greater map. Um, th- it's very similar concept here. So you're basically collecting these puzzle pieces. Um, is the equivalent of your star, so you can get into the next quote-unquote painting.
1: Right, yeah. A, a lot of this game is in its basic sense is really lifted from mario 64 so if you if you enjoyed that game and you want something a little more souped up it's so funny i looking at this more and more and like
0: thinking about rare as a third-party developer as compared to n64 it's almost like a lot of the games that n64 put out rare came in and was like hey we can do this better and and I think they really did. Like even you brought up even uh, Diddy Kong Racing. It was like a better version of Mario Kart. I think this game Banjo Kazooie was a better version of Mario sixty four. Um, they. It's kind of rude, to be honest. I, I agree. I agree. It's like we're giving you this exclusive partnership with some of our biggest titles. You know, Donkey Kong being one of them. And they basically spit in their face and like we're better than you. We're gonna make this a way more improved game, which I I think they really accomplished here.
1: I I agree and. It's kind of a, a dual-edged sword, I guess. N- Nintendo is being ripped off, but they're also enjoying all of the benefits of having these high-selling rare games on their platform. So I guess they probably were were okay with not being ripped off, but be, considering themselves an inspiration for these games.
0: As long as everyone's making mon- money, of course Nintendo will be happy. So I also have a couple other items in mechanics that I'd love to talk about. Um, one of which is more of a negative for me on on the mechanics in terms of collecting some of these. As you know, I'm not the biggest collectathon fan, so I do think it is important to limit the amount of collection needed in in each of these type of games. One of the tasks in each world is you have to collect these other characters. Basically, you have to find oh, the five of them throughout each. Jinjos, thank you, I couldn't remember the name. You have to collect these five Jinjos in each of these worlds, and for me, it's a completely unnecessary additional search and find task, which was overkill for me. I'm very happy to collect all the music notes, I'm very happy to collect all the puzzle pieces, I don't need a third item per level to collect. And I actually found that in playing each of these worlds, that was the puzzle piece I was most likely to not collect in each world.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the harder ones to collect, es- especially because if you lose all of your honeycomb pieces, which are your basically your life meter, and you die, all of your Jinjo progress erases, which is, which is brutal. Criminal. It is criminal. Criminal. Not only,
0: <laughs> not only do you lose that, it also, and I found this more infuriating was I like, I actually do like the task of collecting the music notes and Mm -hmm. they clearly designed this with keeping players on track in a certain area to find everything you need. And I think as a result of that, they force you into every time you reopen the map to having to collect all those music notes over again, which I get the point of why they're doing that, you know, to keep you on track every time you enter the level. I think it is crazy though after I've collected 95 music notes to ask me to collect a hundred more just because I came, I couldn't find the last five in my first go through.
1: Right. That's I, I do feel that that's a pretty divisive aspect of this game. Uh, it's, I I think it's definitely a product of its time because back, back in the, back in the day, picking up and cause realistically, you probably don't need to spend more than an hour or so in every world to find everything.
0: I would say that's a fair I would say that's a fair um time frame though. About an hour per world is 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 plenty for the most part.
1: Yeah, and and back in the day, sitting down and playing a game for an hour was something that, you know, when we were kids, what else are we going to do? When you're in terms of what playing a game Go today. Yeah, <laughs> no, hell no, not me. I was an indoor child. Always. <laughs> But, you know, nowadays you have to like, like for me, I had to intentionally carve out be like, I'm going to play banjo now. I need to make sure I set aside an hour, hour and a half so that I can make sure that I'm able to complete an entire level and not have to lose my Jinjo or note progress.
0: It is true uh, nowadays, like as opposed to when we were kids. You know, you really do have to be like, okay, I'm investing one hour of my time right now to play this game because you're right. There really, is there, there's just no going back if you shut it off. But definitely a product of the error, I think, because these are the sort of things you don't really see in games anymore. And um, I wouldn't be shocked if when they release this on the Switch that they change that to some degree to keep people more, to keep a younger audience more enta- entertained.
1: Right. I, I think. I think in the sequel they removed this feature. I'm pretty sure in Banjo-Tooie you, uh, once you collect a note, it's collected and, and that's it. So that's I, good. that's I, a good I improvement. Think, right. I think, I think they probably received that feedback and, and, uh, reacted to it.
0: I have one more additional, uh, mechanic point I'd like to discuss. It's a little, it's a little, a little specific, I guess, and and more targeted to like one task in this game, but, I actually thought it was a really important one to bring up, purely because I've never seen this in a game before that I could think of. Definitely never recalled seeing this on any N64 games at the time, but I found it rather interesting at the end of this particular game, in order to get to the final boss fight, they have you play, essentially, a board game against against (laughs) the main villain, which... Incredibly creative idea. And I definitely see how that's not for everyone, but it made me enjoy it a whole hell of a lot.
1: It is incredibly unique. This, this, Very uh, this, unique. this board game type challenge that you have. It's all, all I'll say is, you know, throughout the game, you find Grunty's sister, Brentilda, and she gives you. Uh, facts about grunty. All, all I'll say is that you definitely want to, like I had a, a Google doc. That's awesome. <laughs> dedicated to grunty facts so that c- just because I knew that they were going to get asked about when, when I got to the, the game show uh, all I can say is if you haven't played this game or if you haven't played it in a while that you uh, keep track of all of your, your grunty facts for this particular challenge.
0: So I wish that was something I knew going in. I'd never played this game before. This was my first run through. And I, you know, when you're asking, you find her and the sister in random locations throughout the game. And you just know that there's going to be some level of importance to it. But I will tell you, I did not see board game coming from this. You know, I thought it was going to be like, okay, middle of the fight, you know, Kind of like in paper mario where it's like what are all the things that mario hates and peach tells him like mushroom or like power up flower and i kind of thought it was going to be similar to this where it's like what are these weird facts about her and you have to like do it in the final fight but to conceptualize that in a board game very unique very creative and i actually liked it quite a bit um I don't think that necessarily translates to um, what kids may enjoy in playing a game a game today. But for me, it was it was really funny, different. And I loved it.
1: Well, it's a lot easier now. Like like I said, I I opened up a trusty Google Doc to write everything down. It's a good that, idea. Back back in the day, you don't have you, you can't or you you know you could take a picture of it with your cell phone. But back in the day, you just have to write it down or that's it right there's not really much else if, that, if that you, you were do. even
0: thinking to write it down back then i could see myself as a kid playing it and just ignoring it the whole time i mean i sort of did that this time um <laughs> something's never changed my, Steven. for real like even in the back of my brain like in the first level when you see her you're like i know this is important but i just didn't care enough to pull out the the, the google sheet <laughs>
1: um typically well, i guess uh, honestly steven i i didn't think to message you and tell you that you should be keeping track of them. And I'm, I'm honestly going to take the blame for this one. But you know
0: what, though? I actually like that you didn't, because it allowed like, typical mistake I would make on any game. Like, I would do this, I would skip this same thing on any game I'd ever play. So this is kind of funny. It's uh, a difficulty that I face every time I play these games. <laughs> Gotta learn the hard way. That's the only way to learn. Rob, how, how did you feel about the overall gameplay in this particular game?
1: Uh spoiler alert i think that everything about this game is great but there's a shock uh, <laughs> looking at it from a uh, objective point of view i still think that the gameplay holds up really well the the quantity of moves that you learn is great it keeps things fresh lots of flexibility in how you travel whether you want to use the talent trot to move quicker go up steep slopes or you want to fly around to get around the map uh the world design all complements your move set really well so i i really appreciate the uh all the effort that they put into the move set that they provide
0: i i like that a lot too i really think the gameplay here was one of the best elements of this game um they give you a lot of functional moves to the character they can make the character diverse because the character is ultimately two characters built into one. Um I do like the progression in how they sort of uh teach you not too much at once so you're never really like overwhelmed at on at, at any given level. They I think on average, probably teach you two to three moves per world that you get in, which I think is a really, really, uh, smart choice, um, enforcing a slower gameplay for the character. Um, but yeah, overall it was, it was really well done,
1: right? They, they don't, they don't, uh, they have a lot of moves and there's a lot of capability of your character, but they do a good job at slowly introducing the moves and, there's a pretty good tutorial in Spiral Mountain at the beginning of the game that gives you the all the basic operation stuff which is pretty well done.
0: I think this area here is is to me where Rare differentiates themselves from Mario 64. Um and you know they're able to because obviously Mario 64 came first so they can see after the fact what worked better, what worked, what didn't work and I do think Having the ability to have uh, two characters as one, where you can fly and do power moves, um, is an interesting choice um, and gives you a lot of variety um, in terms of how you play the game throughout. Which I think completely buries Mario sixty four as this being the superior game.
1: Yeah, and it helps that the controls are really tight and responsive. To you know, you when you press a button, it does what it's supposed to, and they all the action flows really well together so overall i think control and moveset wise the the game really excelled and really the only thing that i can think of as a negative for this game which is in the, in terms of the gameplay which plagued most 3d adventure games is the camera angle um, that that was really tough to deal with at at certain times it, it's not so bad especially if you know what you're getting into like if you're playing a 3d adventure game on the n64 you're gonna likely run into some camera issues but if that doesn't bother you too much then it's not a huge it's not a game breaker for sure it, it only maybe a handful of times throughout my playthrough uh was a little irksome but overall not that bad
0: i i did find that frustrating but i do think it's a product of the error and i really think in terms of gameplay for this game the only issue I really had with it and again it's kind of fits um a product of the era issue much like the uh camera angle that Rob is talking about is the swimming in, in this particular game. Now I do believe on the whole for pretty much any N64 3D game that has a character that has to um progress through water I've always felt that the gameplay in every N64 game for that action was never really designed well. And I do think it's a product of the era. Maybe there's limitations um, in how they create the game there. I don't know. Um, But that was a big deterrent for me here in this game. I do think uh, in order to complete this game, there is an incredibly large amount of swimming that is involved um, in this game. And I do think that it's not done particularly well, but I also don't think any game in the n64 really did this well so i'm not going to criticize that rare specifically uh for this too much um purely because i do think it's an error that was on every game that you see in the n64 i I don't think it was until the gamecube came out do you really see an improvement there and i actually think that's a big factor why when they made the gamecube they put um super mario sunshine as the lead game to see that they overcame that technical difficulty
1: yeah and me personally, I, I didn't, I didn't have any issues with the swimming other, the, the swimming itself wasn't the problem with me. It was always camera angles when, when I was swimming with that, you know, if you were swimming from one area to the next, it's, it, it sometimes like inverts your joystick, depending on where the camera angle is, things like that made swimming difficult, but I didn't find any actual issues with the the swimming in terms of the actual controls of it?
0: I think I have a hard time with it partially because of like just in terms of directional putting yourself in the right direction you know you are in a period of time there's a whole level that's pretty much underwater and you have to collect music notes. I found that you know dying with the lifespan occurred very often you know collecting these notes underwater um, for me it was a little tough because I also feel like I'd swim by it half the time and I have to circle back five times so that was really my uh, complaint there but other than that i really think this game as a whole got it right because i also believe that the swimming issue is a system issue more than anything
1: yeah yeah that's that's really th- th- those two points are really the only the camera angle and uh oh another thing i say two points but i didn't say my my second point yet uh the mumbo transformations that uh, was yeah. one of the only things that i actually didn't super like in this game and really? it's something that they impro- They It's something they improved in the second game. Uh, but the main thing I like the transformations, the main problem is so for those who haven't played, you collect skull tokens throughout the worlds and you use them. And there's this shaman mumbo that you trade the tokens for and not every world, but most worlds you have a transformation where you, you, they'll turn you into like a little alligator or like a bee and definitely giving off Donkey Kong
0: vibes with that idea.
1: Right. Right. The, the only issues, the only issue that I have is that to transform back into banjo, you either need to exit the level and move far away from the level where the magic runs out, or you need to go back to mumbo to transform back so when earlier when i said there isn't a lot of backtracking i think really the only backtracking in the entire game is due to mumbo transformation so you play the whole level and then you get to mumbo and then you have to transform into whatever creature because you need to transform into the creature to unlock certain areas and make progress in the map so you have to like make a mental note as you're going through, like, oh, I can't do this. It must be like a, a mumbo transformation or something. And I have, to, I, have, I have to go back. And then once you go back after you've been transformed and you do what you have to do, it would be so nice just to be able to, to transform back, like have a button combination. Be like, okay, I'm done with the transformation. I'm going to press a button and transform back to Banjo. And I think Banjo Tooie implemented a feature where you could switch back to Banjo whenever you wanted after you transformed, which kind of reduces the monotony of the backtracking back to Mumbo.
0: That's a really good point, because honestly, at first, um, I actually really enjoyed that concept of, of changing into the different characters. I thought it was a lot of fun. But you bring up the point of having to backtrack and to to go back to your normal character and and actually... I do agree. I, I do actually think that was that wasn't that wasn't a great feature. It wasn't a well thought out. In a game where I it felt everything was very intentionally done and even th- this this seem this also was obviously an intentional action but I do feel like it definitely took away um from some of the monotony um that you see in uh, that you see more frequently in other games like this this going back to have to become a different character and changing characters i think that was my least favorite aspect of donkey kong 64 and when we played this game i felt like there was none of that and i i completely neglected the fact that to change back between these two characters you did have to actually i more
1: often than not left the arena right if i guess if you're comparing it in the context of donkey kong 64 like it's insanely better and
0: that's kind of how i was thinking about too you know like in that light purely because they were the same company and we played the and the other one came out later which is weird that they went backwards on that <laughs> right it is strange huh very very strange rob difficulty what do, what do you think do you think this was an overwhelmingly hard game uh did you want it to be a hard game or, or what were you looking for when you played this i know it's a little bit lengthy so what level of difficulty were you looking for
1: um i'd say that this game handles the difficulty pretty well it's it's hard to have an objective opinion just because i know where everything is and i've played this game quite a few times and i i actually replayed it a couple years ago so i had a decent enough memory of it uh it it starts off on the easier side but i think the difficulty ramps up pretty appropriately by the back half of the game you know by i would say by the third
0: level it really escalates in terms of difficulty
1: Yeah, and. I think for me it was around Rusty Bucket Bay the the ship That's level. That's exactly
0: where I thought it got hard.
1: That 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 area got pretty difficult to the point where I think I left with only like 5 or 6 of the 10 jiggies. I I was just not doing well on on that particular level and then even as you ramp up to the the final boss fight which you know I don't want to get again Too into spoilers of this 15 year old game but the last boss fight i found to be to be pretty difficult despite the fact that i've played the game before it took like an embarrassing five tries to beat her
0: i actually i i couldn't agree more with you on the difficulty of this boss i actually think um of any game i've played on the n64 this is as hard as it gets um truthfully and i i wonder if it you know there's not a whole lot of the, there's not much boss uh, battles throughout this game. You know, I mean, they might consider themselves, like when you're in an individual level, like let's say you're in the first level where you have to fight for five seconds, a uh, giant ape that's throwing oranges at you. But realistically, they may call that a bo- boss fight. It's just a a quick three-hit battle. So I think, you know, having... Um, gruntilda be your final bass boss battle and having it be that difficult i do think is a little appropriate here um purely because they didn't give you a lot of boss battles beforehand
1: it's true that there there really isn't much in the way of of boss fights so i guess they had to concentrate all the difficulty into this last one i i appreciate it i think it was a great way to finish off uh i think a really well balanced difficulty curve you know you're up at the top of the mountain you're at the last You're at the last uh, boss fight of the game and it's it's challenging. They don't want you to they don't want to just hand it over to you.
0: I like that quite a bit. Capping it off with an extraordinarily difficult boss battle was really a perfect choice. Um, And I like that they don't bog you down with too many overly difficult bosses throughout the game. They sort of keep the they sort of keep the focus of the game on the collection element of it with one culminating very difficult battle. At the end, which I think yeah, was pretty it's,
1: brilliant. That's, it's a good point. You, it, it helps improve the, uh, the pacing of the game. You know, every time Completely you get to a agreed. boss fight, especially if it's a hard boss and it takes a few times to, to beat them, it's, uh, it, it does dramatically slow the game to a halt.
0: My only complaint, really, with the difficulty in this particular game was the margins. Um, kind of what Rob was mentioning earlier in terms of you need to collect nine jigsaw puzzle pieces per level to really advance. Um this is where I actually think Mario 64 does have the edge on Banjo-Kazooie is this element here. I think for me, I'm not a person that ever really goes to the 100% on this type of game. It's just not what I it'll make me not enjoy it if I play it that way. So I do like to get enough where you know, I don't necessarily need every single jigsaw piece and every single level. If I attempt something five or six times and I can't do it, I'm perfectly content moving on, um, and still being able to allow to progress through that game. Um, right. I do think that they have really small margins where you need 180, you only have the option of collecting 190, so you really need. Uh, what, 5%, there's only like a 5% or less error rate there uh, before you can move on to the next game. Whereas in Mario Party, you could continue to move forward with having less, and I do think I like that a little more.
1: Yeah, it's true. I I was pretty shocked because when I did my my playthrough, I was still short like 10 jiggies, and I I was doing a pretty good job. I probably had on average like 7 per level, I would guess. 7 or 8. And I still needed to go back and collect a bunch more. So it was it was pretty shocking, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that that's really I think overall the game is hard and making the margins that small is a little unnecessary. I think if you're going to make it that difficult, you know, maybe give me the option of finding 220 pieces of um, jigsaw puzzle pieces uh, rather than only like 190 when you need 180 to complete the game or, or whatever the number is.
1: Yeah, I, I can agree with you there.
0: Rob, do you have any more uh, difficulty items that
1: really jumped out at you for this game? The, the last thing that I'd like to mention, which we mentioned earlier, is that if you lose all your honeycomb pieces, which is essentially your, your life meter, and you die, then you lose all of your level progress. Now, you don't lose your jiggies, but you lose your, your note high score, and you lose all the gingos that you found. So... It adds, I I wouldn't say unfair difficulty. It just ups the stakes a little bit to the sense that, you know, if you only have two honeycombs left and you're looking pretty close to death, like you have to go running around to find some.
0: Normally, I'm okay with that kind of difficulty concept in most games where if like you end up dying, you end up losing that individual level progress. I'm, I'm normally okay with that in most games. I didn't love it for this game. And the only reason why was I felt... I felt as though you got less health in this game than you do in a lot of other games. Um, I did die more here than I I do in other games that I play, and I I think it's because you don't get a lot of life. So adding that extra layer of losing everything when you die um, was a little frustrating for me in terms of the difficulty of the game. And I think it was more of a frustration rather than an an enjoyment. Because like I said, I I liked overall, this was a harder game, but this was an element I didn't enjoy.
1: Yeah, if you're... If you're playing an hour of a game, and you, especially like later on in the game, you have a lot more opportunity to die easily with like the toxic water in Rusty Bucket Bay or falling from a a tall height in Click Clock Woods. You know that there, as the as the game progresses, the chances of you dying increase dramatically. So to put in all that effort just to ultimately uh, lose your progress is, as, what did you say earlier? It's criminal. It is criminal. Like, <laughs>
0: why would you do this to me? You're gonna make me jump through this many hoops. I have a, a high percentage chance of dying, and then you're gonna kick me in the nuts when I'm on the ground. Don't you want me to like this game, Rare? What the F? Exactly. Exactly. I, fortunately, there's so many other positives here that I do think the game does overcome this type of a challenge um, because I even still came back for more after dying sometimes, but it definitely is a deterrent if you're not one for like repetitive gameplay.
1: If, if you don't, if you give in, in easily to your frustrations, then that that's some, some of these difficulty aspects, including losing all your progress could be a game breaker for some.
0: I think I don't know about you, but I think I, I've talked up as much difficulty as I can. So I, it, yeah. I I would love to move on to move on to our next category of story. Let's do it. Now, um, I think I'll take the start on this one. For me, uh really no pizzazz on, on the story at all. Um, I don't think that's what Rare was really focusing in on this game. Um because there's so many other highs on this game, the story really all it is is the story of Snow White, basically, where they capture the pretty girl so that the witch can look younger and beautiful. Um, Outside of that, I don't really see too much intricacies with this particular story, Uh, but I also don't think that's what Rare was looking to do anyway.
1: I never realized that, Steve, the, the, uh, the Snow White comparison. It literally is the story of Snow White in a basic sense. That's funny.
0: 100%. When you start the game up... The she actually does the witch's rhyme, which is the same exact rhyme from Snow White, where it's like, who's the fairest of them all or, and does the same exact like almost word for word of what you see in Snow White. So it's it's pretty cookie cutter uh, as cookie cutter as it gets anyway, in terms of, uh, you know, the witch kidnaps the pretty girl story. So far, Um yeah, so they really didn't overextend themselves at all in terms of the story, but I also, again, I also don't think that was important to them. I think putting out a killer game in terms of, like, gameplay was, was their goal.
1: Yeah, the, the story is certainly what I rated the lowest here. Although, the one thing I did, the one thing that saves the story, because I, I consider the dialogue to be part of the story category here. Uh... I'd say the dialogue is the one redeeming aspect of this game. it creates that's
0: true it's it's good banter
1: yeah the it's it's pretty laugh out loud, funny at some points, especially reading some of the the grunty facts there some of them are just so absurd, and I found myself laughing out loud at quite a few of the characters and their banter throughout this game, so especially like rhyming all of Gruntilda's lines too a lot of work probably went into into that so i i'd say in terms of the story if if we're talking about dialogue that's probably the saving grace here is that at, at a minimum you know humor is subjective but at at a minimum you're likely going to be uh, pretty amused throughout the game for, from that perspective
0: one additional cutscene that i think was actually enjoyable kind of in the same vein of what you're discussing, every time you quit the game or die, the witch actually successfully, they have a whole cutscene of like, you failed, and it shows you how the witch becomes this beautiful woman, and your sister becomes this ugly, uh, ugly, awful role monster. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't think a lot of games do the whole, like you died cutscene thing, uh, or at least at that time, I don't think it was as big a deal. Um, you know, Zelda obviously had the like slow motion die like thing. Um, but I actually liked the entire cutscene Every time you died in this, I thought it was, you know, if you die a lot, it's not as fun of course, but I thought it was a little nice creative tidbit.
1: Yeah. It's, it's honestly, (laughs) it is funny, but it is pretty rude, especially like they play it. If you save and quit Not even if you die. Like, if you, even if you stop playing. And that's completely unreasonable. Yeah. When you stop playing, they're like, well, this is what happened. You, you, your sister is a grotesque monster now. I guess you just have to live with that.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I don't think outside of those couple cutscenes and stuff, they didn't really do too much. They didn't overextend themselves in terms of story. And, and I don't think it's something that really warrants a major discussion. Cause like I said, I I think they kind of mailed it in, but I, I also believe that was intentional.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. That's, that's all I have to say about it.
0: Now, our next category, visual presentation, I actually think that this one, what, what was an important category um, for any game like this, this type of adventure game, I really think the visuals and the sound are crucial. Um, and I don't have any thing too specific to jump out at me visually, other than it was a well-backgrounded game. The design of the characters were really good. Nothing was overcrowded. So I don't have anything too, too special for visual presentation, but one thing I would like to note that I think is very critical visually that adds to the gameplay significantly, pretty much on every level that you play here, they allow you to gain access at some point in the level to a bird's eye view of the entirety of that level. Now, for a game that doesn't offer an in-game map, I actually think this is a great visualization feature. Um, because you could just go to the top of the mountain at the first level and scan everywhere in the map and be like, okay, I haven't clearly gone over here yet. And I think that adds heavily uh, as a positive in the visualization category for this game. Definitely important, I think, in a game that doesn't really offer
1: a lot of map options, or any map options for that matter. I agree. Um, another thing I'd, I'd like to say is... The level design is simple, which is actually something I really like about this game is uh, maybe not simple Me too, it, but it's they, they smaller,
0: it, smaller, I think is a good way to describe yeah, and, it.
1: And, and, and they didn't try to do more than they could. You know, they didn't bite off more. They could chew than they could chew, which is something that felt like was an issue with Donkey Kong 64 is that they tried to make a game that was maybe a little bit bigger than they could handle. And sometimes it ended up resulting in these big, large rooms with nothing inside of it. In this case, the worlds are they're They're smaller, like you said, and everything's just tighter and it doesn't feel like as much space is being wasted. So yeah, I guess what I'd say is the level design is just very well executed and appropriately sized. And I I appreciated that about the game.
0: I think that, Concept is what makes this, for Rares games, the superior game over Donkey Kong 64. This game, for people that don't like the over-indexed collection games, um, the smaller map size really helps keep you in these levels in and out. And I think that was another huge positive for me uh these smaller levels the individual small levels being able to see the entirety of the level in one particular location really really won me over for a game style that I don't typically enjoy and it 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 I agree the size of Donkey Kong was its downfall for each individual level whereas this made none of those mistakes or traps and uh again f- interesting that this was the first game of the two um Maybe they were just going too grand and going too too far in the other game, but this was a perfectly sized, smaller maps, which was the right decision. The next category for us is the sound design. Uh, Rob, I I only have one or two comments about sound design. I think it falls very much in line with how I felt about N6, uh, Donkey Kong sixty four. And um, again, you can tell it's made by the same company. But what did you think about the sounds here?
1: Well, I'll be honest. I would rate this category higher than five if I could. Of course. the the music for banjo kazooie is like so iconic and well done and i think there are few few games that are able to create so many tracks that are so recognizable especially you know having played this game my entire childhood and basically my life. The songs I still catch my even years of not playing the game, I still catch myself humming the songs. There's a really awesome folk cover of the the soundtrack on Spotify that came out I think I think in 2021 it came out. And I I listen to that every now and then where they do like a kind of a folk take on the the music it, it's it, it really there, there's nothing like it and it fits the game so well and i i'm just i'm just a huge fan i i do find it very fitting to this particular
0: game and it's definitely a sound that i the sounds overall throughout the game definitely point towards you just know it's a rare game when you're listening to it. You know, um, I think this game here kept things a little tighter, even in terms of the sound per level. And I think that could partly be because you're not spending as much time in each individual level. So you don't actually really get sick of any course's individual theme song. So I do think that is to its benefit here. The only complaint that I really have is the individual character sound effects in general, or like when you're talking to um, the mole. Um, Some of those sounds are a little bit annoying, but again, I think that's just kind of indicative of the error. Um, But overwhelmingly, I thought the sound was was done well, and and I didn't really get sick of it as I had in other games.
1: Yeah, I, I actually I noted that as well, that I could see people not liking the sounds the character make the characters make when they talk. Uh, it's this like cute scene. Yeah, that was that was their only downfall. Uh, that being said, I think this is the first game that I know of that ever did anything like that. So I wonder how much it inspired Animal Crossing because the Animal Crossing, uh, dialogue sound is the same exact thing. So it makes me wonder if there was some some uh, heavy inspiration from Banjo Kazooie.
0: It probably it probably had something to do with it. Honestly, um. It was very. I. I. I don't remember seeing a lot of games that did this type of um, communication type with the characters. It was definitely different and unique to them.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, it, I can definitely see how it could be annoying to some people, but I guess you can't deny the uh, the ingenuity of it all. Agreed. And the 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 last thing I'd like to say, and it kind of piggybacks off of a comment that you said earlier in terms of not the music not really getting old part of the thing i really noticed and liked about the sound design is that as you went into different parts of the world like if you went to a cave or something like that the music would change like there's one big overall uh overworld song that's playing but if you swim underwater it sounds like the song is underwater if you go into a cave the music tempo will slow down like uh, 50% it'll be a little bit of a different vibe so as you go to different parts of the world the the music changes and they had to put in I, I recognize that to be a huge effort and you, they could have easily had just one track playing the whole time but they wanted the I think the sound design was very important to the developers and I think that sh- that shows very noticeably here it's a
0: very smart design feature, too, because they can use it as a tool uh, so that you know where to go in a game as well. And I, I do think that that kind of helps in terms of how they change the sound for you here. And I think it's kind of I think a lot of the things that the, how they designed it was very directional. And I think that the way they manipulate the sounds environmentally helps in that.
1: Yep, I agree. Just another well done, tight aspect of the game.
0: And with that, I would like to get into our last category: uh, modern appeal. How did this game
1: play today for you, Rob? Um, Well, in terms of the modern appeal, the game looks and sounds amazing. A lot of detail was put in the aspect into these aspects of the game, and it shows the controls are tight and responsive. They have the I don't think we mentioned this earlier, but they have the cauldrons that allow you to teleport throughout Grunty's lair, which makes getting around very important. easier. The talon trot ability, where you basically have Kazooie running you around, allows you to go faster and allows you to go up hills. so the the pacing is is really good and that. Uh, From that perspective,
0: I think it does definitely speak to a more modern game. I think I think their very intentional design of the game um, is more how they design games today. I think back then they were always trying to push the limit in everything. Um, And this game, I don't think really overdid it in any one area. And I think it has allowed this game to grow and age well.
1: Yeah. And if I were to highlight any negatives from our conversation earlier it's that your note high score doesn't carry over if you leave a world or die which limits the pickup and play and the same 3d game camera issues that plague all of the other 3d games from this era are here so be i think be prepared for that that
0: those being the only real drawbacks in a modern day uh, for a game to be judged today um all three of those all of those issues really relate back to technical limitations of the past and and I think that speaks to how good this game was you know um but yes I think it's very playable today.
1: Yeah and if you uh if you have a Xbox 360 or an Xbox 1 or a Series X I guess even they have the uh rare rewind pack which allows you to play remastered versions of Banjo-Kazooie and its sequel Banjo-Tooie so um they they clean up the game a little bit in terms of its uh visual presentation and uh this game is also in January being at ad- I think January being added to the Switch online if you have that and you're looking for a way to play the game so I guess that helps a little bit for people who don't have n64s or don't have the game or don't want to emulate that there are a couple options out there for you
0: that's absolutely a statement on the game that they're willing to bring it back on the switch even you know i feel like they're picking they're very they're very much picking games that still are relevant today and um i i, I think nintendo believes this game is relevant
1: yep now we just need a uh, nintendo switch sequel perfect then, then i'll be happy
0: Alright, so Rob, after, uh, after going through all these categories, what would you say your final score on this game was?
1: My score, which is 100% rooted in objectivity and not nostalgia, is 4.7 out of 5.
0: I came in a little bit lower than that. I would say overall... Um Of the rare games we've played, definitely this one has been my favorite. But I still scored this one at a 3.7. You know, I feel like there's a little limitations um, for me in gameplay that brings some of the stuff back. But overall, uh, a a fantastic game. And and, uh, I'm putting this one in at a 3.7 today. Which gives us an overall rating of 4.2, making this our second highest uh, rated game. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of the N64U Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like us on Facebook via our N64U, a gaming podcast page, or follow us on Instagram for all of your latest updates and announcements.
1: And don't forget to subscribe and rate slash review us on your favorite podcasting app, which will keep you up to date on our latest episodes and help us reach more lovely people such as yourself. And if you have any questions or comments, please shoot us an email at n64upodcast at gmail.com and we'll read it out on the show.
0: This is Rob and Steve signing off from your home for all things N64 here at the N64U Podcast. Thanks for listening. And then you're going to kick me in the nuts when I'm on the ground.